I think we think about mid majors as like this, like tier down from college athletics, and really, it's not much different, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some. We get high level athletes, and you know, we 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 rate them in stars and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. the skill level and the the talent level, strength level is not much different at, at the mid-majors. It's mm-hmm. just that we might have more of them here. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's a, it's a big reason why we can get upset by all kinds of teams, mm-hmm. you know? And that's something that we have to like kind of instill in, in these, these kids here because we have everything, right? Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get kind of comfortable. It's easy mm-hmm. to, to like, yeah. we're Oregon, we're supposed to win, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you, you actually can get beat. Mm-hmm. And it happens, and, and sometimes it's it's good that we get beat by by the smaller schools because it's it's a reminder like, hey, we're still playing this sport, we're still playing football, we're still playing lacrosse or whatever. It's you, you need to prepare like like you had nothing before, yeah. and mm-hmm. so at the same time, it's an advantage, and it's also a disadvantage because mm-hmm. you see this happen from kids that had a lot in their lives, like they don't have that that toughness, they don't have the resilience. And sometimes it's like, hey, maybe we need to have less resources because we need to have that, that edge as, as well, right? Uh-huh. So the preparation doesn't change. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. This is a new week and a new episode. Thank you for tuning into this one. For any of my new listeners, you're in the right place to hear about all these strategies, philosophies, concepts that blend together to optimize human performance. For all of my returning listeners, I really appreciate all of the support and thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. For everyone, if you haven't checked out the previous library of episodes, go check that out. You can find it on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. There were a lot of great guest interviews, a lot of stories, experiences that were shared, and I've covered a lot of solo topics that gear to optimizing your performance. Also, check out my YouTube channel. Video highlight clips of the podcast are going up daily and also a lot of new educational informative content. So check that out. Share them with anybody that will find some benefit from it. If you're finding a lot of value, I want you to connect with me. I want to interact with you, hear some feedback and provide you with value that helps you along your journey. You can message me, repost it, but I would love to hear from all of you. Let's jump into today's topic, and it's something that I'm very excited to talk about. Strength and conditioning is something that is always, I can talk about it for days, and we have a great guest on today, and it's Gaisen Terai. He has been an assistant strength and conditioning coach at University of Oregon for a few years now, and he's done a lot of great things, shares a lot of things along his journey that help him to develop this skill set and become the strength and conditioning coach that he is today. We bounce back so many ideas when it comes to training, when it comes to understanding and relating to athletes to really help them to develop the skills and tools that will help them in their sport. And sometimes this goes beyond the weight room. It's just being there for them, showing them that you care and they know that they can count on you when it comes to helping them to achieve optimal performance. 
There's a lot of great gems in this one, and I really enjoy talking to all the guests, getting new perspectives, sharing many overlapping perspectives, and helping to get that information out to you listening. So listen in to these conversations that we shared and enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the H&L Movement Podcast. This is going to be a very interesting episode, and we might get carried away because I love to talk about strength and conditioning. So we have a very special guest today. I'm excited to not only have conversations, but hear his perspective and insights. And we have none other than Geisen Terai today, who's an assistant strength coach at University of Oregon, and he's a local product out of Hawaii. So we'll go through all of his story and all of that. But thanks so much for joining me today, Geisen. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. And when we decided to do this this episode, I went on a little binge H&L podcast. <laughs> well, thanks. Saw, yeah, thanks. There's so a lot of great. Yeah, there's a lot of great things that people share. And I'm so thankful for all of the guests on here. And it's exciting, you know, I'm sure to listen back to it. But it's exciting for me to talk to all of you guys and kind of pick your brains a little bit. For sure. I, I just saw so many people that I was connected to that you had on. I saw yep. you had Coach Tommy Heffernan on. Yes. You had Kaori Tamura, who was one of my professors. Mm-hmm. You know, and you had Brian Moniz, who I worked out with a couple couple months ago. So I was just like, this is really cool just to see how many people are just connected to each other, you know? Yes, definitely. And it's such a small world, like in the, I think in the athletic performance space, but just in strength and conditioning or kinesiology or athletic training, it's such a small world. So there's going to be all of these overlaps. And a lot of times the the things that are, you know, very sound principles, concepts, philosophies, everything kind of gravitates towards that, right? So you have a lot of the same overlapping people you worked with or professionals uh, coming together for this common cause to try to help athletes perform better, right? So yeah, we're going to talk a lot about your story, which I don't fully know. So we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit more. So let's start with, you know, you growing up, how was sports a part of your life? You know, what what kind of started this interest of getting in the strength and conditioning field today based off of what you did, how you grew up and all of that? Yeah, so currently live in Oregon, but grew up in Hilo, actually. Born on Oahu, grew up in Hilo. We moved there when I was three. As far as I can remember, I played sports year-round. It was, when you grow up in Hilo and you're a local kid, you you play baseball. It's, it's almost like automatic. So I played baseball my entire childhood. Uh, baseball and judo were my two, my two major sports. Mm-hmm. I was that kid that was always in season for something. So I had you know, baseball, judo. Um, a few years later, I picked up golf. So I did golf as well. In high school, I also did wrestling. So I was a, I was that kid that played everything. It was, it was I didn't I wouldn't say I excelled at anything. I was just that kid that was good enough to be on the team. <laughs> but I would never be on the in the newspaper for anything good. I was in the newspaper for you know. Geisen went 0, and 0 for 3 oh, no. with, with the walk and one run. You know, I was that kid, but it was good. It was, it was, it was a part of my life. It was all that I thought about. It was all that I did. Just, just knowing that I was, I was good enough, but I wasn't going to play at the next level. I, I knew that kind of early on. I was, I was always that undersized kid. Not that small kids can't make it, but it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a point where, like, I received a lot of interest in anything. So mm-hmm. I knew kind of, kind of halfway through high school that, I would have to go professional in, in, in something else after I was done done playing. So I um, went to the University of Hawaii, 
naturally kind of found that kinesiology route because that was the closest thing to what my whole life had been mm-hmm. <laughs> kind yeah. of surrounded surrounded by. So when you get into that program, people are always trying to find their their path because you can go in so many different ways, physical therapy, athletic training. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about strength and conditioning at all, but we had to do this uh, kind of practicum volunteer mm-hmm. hours thing. And um, I just happened to walk by their, uh, their weight room, the, the UH athletes weight room, the Waterhouse weight room. And not knowing anything, I didn't, I didn't know like the magnitude of what I was doing, but I, I walked in there while the baseball team <laughs> was yep. lifting. And knowing that now, if someone were to just walk in while my team was lifting, I'd be like, please leave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, but I walked in, I saw Tommy Heffernan and I was, he was the scariest looking dude. But I walked in and I, I asked him like, hey, can I do some volunteer hours? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he like probably thought it was kind of weird because I was interrupting his lift. But he said, yeah, just come in. Wear a white shirt and black pants tomorrow morning. We start at six. And uh-huh. that's that was how it started wow yeah so back backtracking a little bit so you know growing up playing all these sports year round i think that's very common with a lot of the hawaii athletes um it's just part of the lifestyle right once you get you know you play one sport then it's like moving on to the next season play another sport right and part of it is like we constantly talk about the weather and everything just the lifestyle here so when did you actually start playing sports like when you first could sign up really young like five six years old yeah t-ball i was the youngest kid i was four (laughs) <laughs> you were four yeah yeah well yeah so then getting into sports you know at an early age what do you think developed i guess that interest you know especially growing up was it more that all of your friends were playing t-ball or you know how did that interest continue to grow during your childhood I, i've talked about this before it, it kind of wasn't wasn't a choice it's just okay. kind of like so i have a son now and he we always talk about like how we're going to get him to play baseball and how we're going to get him to play football and whatever uh-huh. And just looking back, it was never a choice at all. It was just kind of always just put in there. And that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of a blessing, I think, because my parents just said, okay, you're going to be active. You're going to play sports. Uh-huh. You know, and then once baseball started, and then I found judo, which I was pretty decent at mm-hmm. um, at a young age, and I was pretty successful at judo, um, it just became like that was me, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. I, I can't even imagine – life without without sports i'm not sure what i would do what i would have been doing i mean i'm just very thankful that that was a part of my life and that became a part of my career as well yes growing up playing those different sports too did you have a favorite sport early on or as long as you were being active you know you enjoyed that i enjoyed baseball the most okay because it was just something that i just the game of baseball is just cool i love going to watch um, UH baseball. Uh-huh. I would watch the Dodgers and and the Braves on TV because those are the two teams that are always on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on TBS and stuff. So I loved baseball. Um, judo was more of a natural sport to me. So I was I was very successful when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but both were very different. Baseball is a real like kind of intellectual calm. You need to be composed in that in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, judo, you also need to be thinking, but it's kind of like a chess match, you know? Mm. So the smarter skilled, skilled judo player will, will win usually not just being strong. So it was, it was cool to just, just, I think it's, it really helped me to, to understand my body 
to be honest. Yeah. But when you're a kid, and we say this all the time, like you should play multiple sports to learn just the, the kinesthetic sense of, of yourself in space. And I think that was really helpful to me to just do martial arts in, in addition to, to another sport as well. Yeah. yeah, that just getting that movement variability so that you learn, you know, we know that's huge, right? And I think that helps you in more ways than we even realize, even far on into your adulthood, adulthood, when you're, you know, teaching athletes or coaching mm-hmm. strength and conditioning, a lot of that base that you created when you were, you were younger, that's very crucial. And we, you know, we need that, I think, in some regard to help us to move safer, better, more efficiently later on in life, Right. So thinking about that too, you kind of briefly mentioned that you did judo, um, you found golf later on, and you played baseball pretty much all through your life, right? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, I'm sure you have perspective on this now as a coach, talk a little bit about, you know, some of the differences being part of a team sport and then being like an individual sport, right? Like golf, judo, things like that. Did that help you to develop further interest? Because you mentioned that it helped you to learn how to move, right? Learn a little bit more technique and stuff like that. But is that something you think is, is a unique environment, I guess, when you're just doing an individual sport, is that something that can really help you to develop some of this awareness, some of this strength movement capacity and things like that? Yeah. I, I think when you play a sport like judo or you, you I did wrestling as well. Oh yeah. Wrestling. Mm-hmm. You're really like on the one on the stage. Like it feels like when you're out mm. there that you're, like everyone's looking at you yes. because pretty much you are. You, there's one mat and you see everybody around and <laughs> it's you yeah. and somebody else and they're, they're pretty much trying to embarrass you. Uh-huh. So knowing, I guess, that pressure that was on you, it was good. <laughs> when, I, when I was a young kid, it was, it was, it was terrifying. I, I hated the actual competition part. I only mm-hmm. liked the ending, like if you got your hand raised, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it was, it was a part of like learning also how to lose, mm-hmm. which is something that I think our young people today have a hard time with. Even my athletes here, mm-hmm. when they fail at something simple, like, like doing a rep wrong or like they screw mm-hmm. up in practice, a play here and there, it's like the resilience and the, the ability to get past that failure mm-hmm. is, is really tough for them. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's it, it might be a good thing to actually have an individual kind of sport while you're playing a team sport as well because you you kind of have to hold yourself accountable to what happened. Yes. Right. And and it's really it's kind of your fault if you lose. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. So that that pressure was was rough when when I was a kid. Um, I hated losing. I still don't like losing at all. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it was something that that helped me build some character and build some some resilience and. The, just the ability to look past what just happened and then say, okay, I'm going to clear this and I'm going to go and move forward and next player, next match or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's very true. You know, individual sports, you have to get past that. Otherwise, it's just going to be a downhill spiral. And then, you know, you're going to find yourself not performing up to your potential. And, you know, a lot of things that are going to be more careless mistakes or you're just not focused, you're not in the right mindset, right? So I think that is definitely something, yes, in team sports too, but then in team sports, you know, you do have your teammates to even help pick you up, to help rely on, to, you know, just be there on the field or court at the same time, which is very different. So it's kind of interesting hearing hearing those differences. Now, as a strength coach, I need to ask, so how did strength and conditioning, you know, we all get 
into the weight room one day or, you know, we do some type of structured strength and conditioning besides just going on our own, right? So how did that start for you? Um, what was that process like? And was it something that really helped your uh, sports as you were growing up too? You mentioned that you were more undersized, which I can relate to as well. Yeah, it was it was a lot of, of I would say, very poor training <laughs> early on when I was when I was young. Um, most of us have that same story where we, we just pick up a magazine and we we yeah. we try to just duplicate what we see, which is now they can actually look at their phone and see videos and stuff, mm-hmm. right? But in the past, it was just like whatever you kind of pick up and <laughs> coincidentally yeah. just try. But I think the beginning of my actual training was when I when I found wrestling, okay. Because the weight room was was kind of like like second nature to them. So I was a freshman. I, I remember the first like team lift that we had as wrestlers. There was these upperclassmen that were really strong. They're big, mm-hmm. you know. And we had this this old weight room which still stands today underneath the gymnasium at Hilo High. Okay. <laughs> it was super small. It was really outdated then. I can only imagine what it looks like now. But one of the all-state wrestlers, he was like, we were cleaning up at the end. He was like, hey, pick up that that plate and clean up. And I was like, dude, I don't even know if I can pick up this 45-pound plate. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me like, what are you, are you serious? (laughs) So that was was like my first first Uh memory of of training. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing in here. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's where it started. So, just knowing the the importance of, of being strong in that sport yep. kind of snapped me into reality. Like, man, you're really weak. You need to get stronger. And so it kind of just became like what I what I did. It was it was like a we, we had a summer, and I went to the, the local gym every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to try to get my friends to go. It was kind of like a trick you into doing chest day because they didn't want to do anything else. <laughs> so yeah. the more and more I learned, I got to know the people at the, at the local gym there and, and just kind of pieced it together. And that's, that's, that's kind of where I just saw the importance of, of, of the training aspect of sports. Yes. So this was early on in your high school career. Yeah. 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 So thinking about that too, you know, as you're learning more, well, first, was there anything that really helped you? Were there people around at the gym or was there anything that really started to get you on the right path to, Hey, let's focus on, you know, figuring out how to move like this or exercise like this. Um, and then the second thing was, were, were you like instantly hooked from the beginning? Like, Oh, this is, this is something that I really enjoy doing because I see the work paying off. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, nec- I don't typically like to work out to be honest. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not like that fitness enthusiast. Like even uh-huh. to this day, I, I actually live, I actually work in a weight room, mm-hmm. but I have to like tell myself like, okay, hey, let's go. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. It's not like I can't wait to go and work out. Uh-huh. But so it wasn't like a love of working out. It was, it was more like a, um, I, I, I understood the purpose of it and I, mm-hmm. I, I saw how it could influence someone's life. So yes. I, I didn't really have a love for it until I, uh, learned about it as a profession, mm-hmm. which I didn't know that it was a thing. I was, I knew physical therapy. I knew there was athletic, athletic training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that I could actually do this amazing job for a living mm-hmm. until I got to UH and I saw the coaches there. That That's that's where I kind of, my eyes opened and I was like, wow, this is really neat. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand like what exactly it entailed. All I knew is what it it looked looked really cool. It looked really fun, and the environment was was great. That's, mm-hmm. that's what started it. 
And then as you're, you know, as you went deeper and deeper into learning, right? Was there anybody that really helped you before you even got to UH that helped you to kind of see how to do strength and conditioning or open your eyes to a different kind of strategy or philosophy to strength and conditioning? Or was it just going into the gym and just trying to uh, navigate on your own? Yeah, my... (laughs) It wasn't one person, but it was a it was a com- combination of, of of tons of people. Mm-hmm. Just my interest in it was one thing, but the more people you you come in, into contact with in the field, you realize that there's there's so many different approaches to doing one thing mm-hmm. and to improving performance. Like if you talk to, let's say, I had a mentor that was that was a athletic trainer who was. Um, also doing strength and conditioning on the side. His his approach to it was was very thoughtful and kind of a joint by joint approach kind of kind of deal, mm-hmm. kind of like a Mike Mike Boyle approach. Uh-huh. Um, and then you have people like Tommy Heffernan who have kind of a, like a powerlifting background and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was the combination of and o- over the years it was the more that I stayed in the field, I just kind of picked and chose from yes. different people. So. Um, if you, if I just look down the, the timeline, it was athletic training background first, and then it was, it was Tommy Heffernan and all, all his staff. And then it was when I got to UCLA as an intern, it was Mike Lynn mm-hmm. and all of his staff who, who were very c- kind of like functional in their, in uh-huh. their thought process, you know, their, their thinking was, we're recruiting these these amazing athletes if we don't mess them up we'll do pretty good mm-hmm. you know but still getting after it and and training that mental aspect of of training and then i, I get here and then it's another philosophy of, of speed and agility and movement you know mm-hmm. so the the passion for the the strength and conditioning field is just it just it gets fueled by by people that you come in contact yeah. with for me it, it's it's the most most fulfilling thing when, when you can just continue to learn from people that have done it before you, mm-hmm. it's just super interesting because you can never stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's no ending to, you know, and I think I like that's our conversations, right? I always kind of joke around like the day that I think, okay, I'm kind of towards the end of learning or I'm don't want to learn anymore. That's probably going to be the day that I'm hanging it up and and then retiring, you know, because it's like, okay, that's, that's it. That's where my journey kind of ends professionally. Right. So there's so many things to learn. And I think, I think for people going through programs, people that are in the early stages of their career, or even like us mid-stage career, or even if you're at the tail end of your career, right. There's no one that's going to be, it's impossible to know every single thing in every single situation. So there's always things that you're kind of adding to your toolbox. And I like what you said, you pick and choose and kind of blend it to make it your approach, your philosophy, right? And make it in a way that it works for you, how to help the the individuals like based off of your experiences, your knowledge, all of the mentors before you. And I think just constantly learning, that's a very good message for all of the professionals too. And I think for athletes to hear as well, because then you're, looking at us like, yeah, we're constantly trying to figure out how to improve this, how to make you even better than what we did last year or last time, last off season. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really great message. Before we get into strength and conditioning, um, I wanted to ask real briefly, do you have any injuries growing up playing sports through high school or anything like that, that you had to overcome and deal with? No, 
<laughs> Even as a wrestler, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think God must have blessed me or something. That is good. It was, it was never. I didn't have catastrophic injuries. Good. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was because I didn't play at, at a high level like many other people that that I, I come in contact with. But nothing torn, nothing really, really broken. <laughs> yeah. Just no, that's- like injuries here and there, and I. I yes. I, I could have credited it to the amount of training I did, but I don't think it was that. I, I think it was just, just fortunate. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's a lot of things that have to happen, but that's really good because I think obviously injuries happen. It's inevitable sometimes, but if you can do all of the things to, you know, avoid having those injuries, I think that will help you even what you do now, right? As a, as a strength coach, as a performance coach, because you're still, putting your body through things, you still have to demonstrate, you have to still do these, these types of activities, right? Maybe it's not at the competitive level, but knowing that you don't have that injury history, I think it's a lot easier for you to actually do some of these physical tasks that you have to do, right? Well, I I think we can go back to that idea that, you know, when when you play sports year round, Mm -hmm. and you play multiple sports, Mm -hmm. I just kind of had a feeling of like, I could jump into anything and do pretty good at it mm-hmm. not just on a performance um, perspective but I, ca- I was kind of aware of what, what was happening with mm-hmm. my body most of the time mm-hmm. you know and, and I didn't specialize in one thing and I think that's something that we do all the time it's especially the kids now it's like some of the kids that I have I call them kids they're, they're really young adults <laughs> yeah, but yeah. they're they played like one sport since they were like 10 you know, mm-hmm. they like played some sports, they tried and then they found their one sport and then they, they stuck to it. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to stop that. I mean, I, I, it's not going to happen because mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this like expectation that you need to play on these travel teams and these all-star teams and then get yourself to, to division one athletics, mm-hmm. which is how it happens. It, it kind of has to happen that way now. So it's like we have this idea that we need to play more sports and then be more well-rounded so we'll, we'll not have these injuries, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But then if you do that, you might not reach the level that, yeah. that you need to ha- need to get here. So it's kind of like, okay, this is what needs to happen, but we know it's not going to happen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I completely agree. I think there has to be somewhat of a balance, right? And then taking into all of these other factors and influences because, you know, especially if it's, I mean, we could, this is going down another rabbit hole, but, you know, if someone is, you know, they're going to be better off playing all multi, multi sports, being a multi sport athlete, but then maybe they don't reach their, that level, right. That they're trying to aspire to, but sometimes it's like, okay, what is your athletic capacity? You know what, what's going to really help you to be healthy, happy, safe, and all of that, and still perform at a high level. Right. I think there has to be some type of balance. And I'm, you know, as I've said many times on the podcast, I'm a big proponent for being at least a little bit multi-sport athlete, or if you're not, you got to have some type of off season where you're doing something different. Don't tax your body in the exact same way. Um, because I think it's safe to say that it's pretty known now that if we just keep doing the same thing over and over, your injury risk starts to go up overuse injuries and things like that on those lines. I think this is something I want to hear your perspective on because for me growing up, I was undersized too. So, you know, everyone has kind of their things that they need to work on to make up for the lack of maybe physical attributes. So mm-hmm. you being undersized, was there anything that you really had to focus on? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but was there anything based off of like 
especially with judo and stuff, it's technique, right? You said you talked about like the intelligence of the sport, having that IQ technique, you know, it being more like a chess match. Was there anything that helped you to kind of counteract not having the physical size to, you know, compete necessarily in certain certain types of sports? Yeah, it's something that I I still think we we need to pay attention to as far as like when we recruit kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a how do I say this in the right way? We need to recruit smart kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like kids that are um, for one, they're coachable, mm-hmm. and two, like when you um, give them cues or when you give them corrections, they're able to process and understand and adjust. Mm-hmm. That is not across the board something that exists, mm-hmm. even at this level. You, you think about where I am right now, and you think like these guys are just like top level athletes and whatever. It's not not always the case. It's sometimes it's they're very physically gifted, but what happens upstairs is not not matching that, mm-hmm. you know. And so the I think the understanding of so when you're in competition. Um, especially all the sports that I played, you need to be able to be within your own head and also be processing and thinking and analyzing all on reaction, right? Mm-hmm. If you're that kind of hectic, kind of panicky, intense person in your own brain, you're not going to do well at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, if you think about it, be, let's use wrestling as, as, as an example some of the best wrestlers, when they wrestle, they look like they're relaxed. They yep. look like it's, it's flowing. Mm-hmm. And the people that are intense and like really trying hard and they look like they're getting a workout, they're, they're usually not that good. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that, that balance or it's that kind of conscious level of processing that is, mm-hmm. is the champion's mindset. It's not, it's not the extreme person it's not the person that can't get up it's it's that person that can see what's happening and think a few a few steps uh, steps ahead a few plays ahead Mm -hmm. and in every sport that that's the the case Mm -hmm. even if even some of our you know all americans and stuff here they are the smartest kids Mm -hmm. they're they're the the most able to see the situations see things that are going to happen and then react to it they're not sometimes (laughs) the cool thing about being in my position where like you see the strength and conditioning side, mm-hmm. if you saw some of our best athletes train, you'd be like, that's not a good athlete, <laughs> you know, but then you see them on the court or you see them mm-hmm. on the field. Mm-hmm. And when the skill and the processing is on display, they look like they're a level above everyone. When, mm-hmm. when really it's not their physical attributes, it's their level of processing. Yes. And so that, that's the one thing that I think if we could find a way to, to the screen or, or, or figure out which athletes had that quality, I think we'd be, we'd be unstoppable. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, I, thanks for sharing that perspective because, you know, we see it all the time and it's maybe something that we don't express a lot um, or talk a lot about, but these conversations, that's why I love these conversations so much is because, yeah, just because of how you train and what you do in the weight room, that has nothing to do with game practice situation at all. Right. It's important. We need to have a baseline physical capacity and strength and power and all of that. But you don't need to be the top in that category to be the best performer on the field or court. And I truly believe that. I think a lot of times 
you know, even athletes, maybe it's the environment that they're in or whatever. They get caught up in like, oh, we need to be the best in the weight room. We need to be, have the highest max, highest vert, all of that. But at a certain point, I think there's a point of kind of diminishing returns where like for your body and what you need to do, your sport, your position, if you do too much of that, I think it almost is counterproductive. Like it'll restrict what you need to do on the field or court. Like, for example, anything like baseball, let's talk about baseball since, you know, you played a lot of baseball. I think there's a point in baseball where if you get too strong and you create stiffness restrictions, you can't do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. That's going to actually be detrimental to baseball. Right. But there is a point where you can't be too weak. Of course, we have to find that balance. And I think there's other attributes or factors that athletes really need to consider besides just the physical training and volume of what you're doing to get your body prepared strength wise. Right. So I, I like that you shared that. Do you have any other, any other thoughts about that or where did this develop? Like, is that kind of your approach as you played wrestling, judo, baseball? No, I just, it was just kind of something that I, I noticed um, the longer that I coached. Mm. So you see something like when we have kids in the weight room, for example, you get to really know their personalities and, and their, you know, how they, how they operate. And you see certain people get frustrated at stuff. Yeah. Like I didn't hit that rep or like people across, across the weight room are doing this weight. And, mm-hmm. and it, it turns into like a mental, like <laughs> spiral yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in like a team setting, of course they're going to be competitive, which, which you want because you, yeah. you kind of want them to be like raising the level for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it turned into a, into a negative energy mm-hmm. and it's already a stressful environment. Like physically, it's just still stressed no matter what you, you're mm-hmm. doing for training. It's still stressed. Mm-hmm. But if you turn that mental stress into a negative, yeah. like your, your weight room time now, I have to perform. I have to be perfect. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's diminishing your turn, right? It's not, yeah. it's not doing what we want it to do. Yes. So it, yeah. I think it just developed from, from just observing my athletes and observing how people process what, what's happening around them. That's, that's where it started. And I really started to think like, how important is this part of athletics? Cause I used to think uh-huh. like strength and conditioning, if you work hard, you're going to perform better. Uh-huh. And I still think that, mm-hmm. but I also think <laughs> maybe the mental part of, of the game is even more important to, to an athlete's success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's all questions and you know like none of us will have the full answers but it's interesting because I feel the same way as you the more that observe right and see different situations athletes kind of progress and I think the more that you get to see like longitudinally like when you mm-hmm. see because you've been there for over three years which we'll talk about but when you get to see it after multiple seasons see kind of the athletes go from maybe freshmen now they're going to be seniors right when you see all of that and you're kind of observing I think it's natural for people who are really interested to learn to have more questions, the more that we observe and experience. Right. And then you start to piece together a little bit more of the pieces of the puzzle. And I think that's, what's super valuable. So talking about observing all of this, right. And coming up with, you know, what is, what does each individual or athlete or team, what do they need to focus on? Right. And how can I contribute the strength and conditioning piece to that puzzle? Let's talk about back when you first started. So going backwards a little bit, when you walked in the waterhouse training room and asked Tommy to volunteer, right. How did that kind of, again, when we look back, you already mentioned that 
you know, you really didn't know what you were getting into or the magnitude of what you were getting into. But how did that first experience really kind of pave the way for where you wanted to get to and where you are today? Yeah, that, that first experience, I guess knowing nothing was, was kind of a good thing because it was like a blank slate. I didn't really have a good training background before that. Okay. And I was able to see that the the exercises all had a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so once I once I figured out that why why is this soccer team training a little different than this football team and why why are the women's volleyball team doing this and that? And it, it started with me just asking questions about how does this work? How, how often do you need to change it? Mm-hmm. Why why are we doing this rep scheme and mm-hmm. what are we doing here and there? Mm-hmm. That that's that's where it started. Yeah, so I was a clueless intern my first time, and then I actually went a different route uh, career-wise. I, I became a school counselor after I graduated from UH. Got it. So I got a master's in education. So I spent some a number of years in education. Okay. Um, but the so strength and conditioning is like my second my second mm-hmm. career, if mm-hmm. you will. I actually like being a counselor. I like getting to know the kids. I like that mental health as- aspect. But to be honest, I didn't love what I was doing. I was, I was, I was decent at it, but I always try, fight, tried to find a way to coach. So I, I coached high school wrestling for a little bit. I used to do, when I was working at Farrington High School as a counselor, I, I, I did strength and conditioning on all the off hours. So mm-hmm. we, I would be eight to four school counselor and then close my office, go to the weight room train the football team, train baseball guys, train the volleyball girls. And that was like the best part of my day. Uh. I was so happy. And we had the not, not nice facilities, as you know. Uh-huh. Most, DOE, most DOE schools don't, don't have nice weight rooms or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was dirty. We had to clean it ourselves. And that was like the best part of my day. And I, I realized that I need to do this as a profession. Like this is what I love. Uh-huh. And so much so that we even had – like 5 a.m. lifts, which is kind of, I didn't think would work because I, you know, I didn't think the kids would, would show up at that time, but they, they would come. They would, they would find a way, living in Kalihi and all that stuff. And it's, it, was, it was pretty amazing that we could get them to show up, start mm-hmm. at 5, get after it, get to class on time, which is huge. Uh-huh. You know, and then, and then after school, I would do that. So I actually quit, quit my job there, which was... At the time, it was outrageous. It was like, why would you quit your full-time job? You know, you have a life. <laughs> you have stability. But then I, I knew that if I wanted to coach at the Division One level, I needed to go and prove myself somewhere. You Got know? it. So some follow-up questions to this. So you graduated undergrad with KRS, right? Kinesiology Rehab Science is our program, yep. right? And mm-hmm. then after that, where do you go for your master's degree? Shamanad. I got a master's at Shamanad. Okay. And that was in education. Yeah. School counseling. Oh, school counseling. Okay. So that's the mental health aspect or the mental side that, you know, is kind of coming together now because all of these experiences kind of make your unique skill set, Right. So then after that, I'm assuming that was like two year program. Yep. Yep. So after that, you went to Farrington, you were a counselor, right. And then you're doing the strength and conditioning on the side. Now, mm-hmm. the follow-up question is, do you think that you always wanted to like deep down work in the division one level because of the first observation experience you had with Tommy? Yeah, that was, 
it was always like in the back of my mind. Like even if, uh. so I, I coached for free for a long time after mm-hmm. <laughs> while I was trying to find my path in, in life. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know I, what I wanted to do to be honest, after I graduated, okay. like, you, you know, but you, you're like, maybe, maybe self doubting like things that you think like, I can't, I can't coach these athletes or I can't mm-hmm. do this, you know? So I, I, I tried to dabble into all kinds of things. And I, I coached high school for free. I would, I would call up teams and be like, Hey, I graduated from UH. I have this degree <laughs> yeah. and I, can I come and train your team. And you no, know, of course people would say, if you're going to do this for free, yeah, go ahead. Got so it. I did, did that at McKinley. I did it at Kalani. You know, it was, it was oh. so I did that stuff. Um, How long did you do that for? It was, it was here and there. It was like, it was like a few months here and there. Oh. I was at McKinley there and stuff. So it was all, but it was all just trying to like, get better as, as a coach because mm-hmm. I knew um, that I wasn't that good to be honest and so the more I could coach the, the mm. better I would get you yeah. know and it's, it's all, this whole profession is like kind of trial and error if you mm-hmm. the, the youngest coach even though we might think we know a lot we really know nothing <laughs> and then <laughs> as, as you start to yeah. practice uh-huh. you realize how, how little you knew but mm-hmm. But yep. that, that's how I kind of kind of climbed the ladder. I, I coached for free. Got it. Yeah. And then after that, so how did it come to fruition? Because eventually you came back to UH, right, for another master's degree. And you were a graduate assistant in the strength and conditioning department or field, right? So how did that happen? You were getting all of these volunteering hours. But I think for you, that was like, that was really like your lab, right? You were experiencing yeah. all these different athletes trying to figure out how to, what's the best coaching strategy? What's my approach? You know, even the technical stuff, right? How do I actually teach this to these high school kids? Because a lot of times, you know, I definitely see it all the time. High school kids, sometimes they don't have a good base. This is the first time that they're ever doing anything that's structured, right? So anyway, going past that, how did it come to fruition? What made you decide to go back to UH and how did that happen? Uh, I went back to UH following my internship uh, at UCLA. Okay. So after I quit my job at Farrington, I went back to being unpaid, okay. living in Los Angeles, which is insane because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any income. I, I ran out of all of my money. I, I went completely broke yeah. doing this. <laughs> so I went and I was an intern at UH, uh, sorry, UCLA, uh-huh. learned kind of the art there. I, I credit them a lot to the way that I think now. Okay. Um, because that was kind of my first opportunity to actually run groups at this level. Mm. And it was, it was, it was kind of like a, we, there were seven of us interns okay. um, during, during the summer. And we, it was pretty much, we, we, we would stand there and they would, opportunities would just arise. So like, it would be like 7am, 7am group. We all stand there. The whole staff would come out mm-hmm. and then someone be, would be like, who wants this mobility flow? Who wants to look, who oh. wants to lead it? Yeah. And it was like, I was like, me, I got it. Uh-huh. You know? And if you didn't jump in there, if you weren't prepared ahead of time, you just, the opportunity just passed you. Yeah. So I would, whenever those opportunities came, I would, I would try to jump at it. Mm-hmm. So by the end of or middle of the summer, I was, I was leading the mobility flows. I was, I was leading the dynamic warm up, and then we'd run up to the top of the stadium, Drake stadium and then, mm-hmm. and then lift, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, I just tried to like, jump at everything that came came out yeah yeah <laughs> and from that it was 
for one, it taught me to prepare ahead of time because if mm-hmm. you, if the coaches or the full-time staff says, Hey, this is the opportunity yes, and you're not ready for it, mm-hmm. then you can't jump at it. Right. Yep. So it's the preparation before that. Uh-huh. And also it, it, it taught me to figure out how to, how to coach athletes and how to lead, lead the groups. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where you find your voice. And, you know, I'm not a loud person naturally, mm-hmm. but when you have the music at, at the yeah. highest decibel yeah. and then you're and you have 30 kids and you can't project over that, you know, that's, <laughs> that's something that I had to find as well. So it was, it was all the things included, how to prepare, how to program, how to project yourself and how to, how to lead the group. And so that, that's where it started from UCLA. And then I, when I finished that, moved back to Hawaii because I had no money. <laughs> yeah. So I had to move back in. Uh, um, my girlfriend and I at the time uh, was, uh, was supporting me. She's my wife now, but she was mm-hmm. supporting me there. Mm-hmm. And I went back to UH and I, <laughs> I volunteered again because there was no positions. Oh, I, so I was an intern for, I can't even tell you how long I was an, an unpaid intern for. Oh. <laughs> I had to intern again and luckily a, a GA position opened up at UH. And then they saw how how many how much how many hours I put in and and whatever and they gave me an opportunity and that's what I what I wanted the whole time was just a chance to prove that I could I could coach you know got it yeah. there's so many great things that you shared there I mean and I give you a lot of credit because I think a lot of us that go through the years especially in the beginning right it's just you just gotta like you said be prepared but just keep working and mm-hmm. you know take advantage of all these opportunities, even if it's kind of outside of your comfort zone. Right. And I think that's the big thing for you. Like all of these things, it's kind of coming together because you were just putting yourself out there, putting the time in. And of course you're learning along the way. Right. But it's your passion. It's what you're interested in for those students that are looking to kind of, you know, get into strength and conditioning, like how you were trying to do this at this stage. Right. How did you even come across that UCLA internship opportunity? Is this something that's posted up or was it just, you just start no. sending resumes and applications? Yeah. When I, when I mentally decided that I was going to change my career, mm-hmm. I pretty much contacted every Pac-12 school and okay. not because it was Pac-12, but it was just closest to home, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of UH, it was, it was West Coast. So I thought, okay, Pac-12 would be great. Mm-hmm. And I went through all of them. I, I called them, I emailed them all. No response. And I just went alphabetical order. <laughs> and so no response. And then I went down. UCLA was toward the bottom. USC, UCLA was toward the bottom. It was you, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and within, I think it was within the hour, Michael Lynn emailed me back and said, hey, I'll get you in touch with our intern coordinator. And I was like, whoa. Oh. Like someone finally responded to me, you know? Yes. And so that, I don't think people realize like how, how much they've in, impacted my life just by doing the little things like responding mm-hmm. to an email, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause we get inquiries yeah. all the time. Right. It's like, yeah. Hey, can I talk to you on the phone? Can I, whatever, yeah. zoom call real quick. And I, sometimes it's easy to kind of ignore that cause it, it comes all the time, mm-hmm. but just him responding to me and getting me in contact with someone like changed my life right there. Yes. You know, yeah. so that, that's how it happened. It was just like a, I'm going to shotgun, throw this net over the, over the Pac-12 conference and hopefully I catch one fish and I I got an opportunity. Yes. And 
I completely agree for students out there, you know, that's really the approach. You just have to put yourself out there and then, you know, it just takes one, right. One chance and one opportunity for you to actually see and, you know, learn and see what you're made of to, you know, advance your career. Right. So coming back to UH, now you're actually a graduate assistant. What was your specialty in, in your grad program at UH? (laughs) So I took the most difficult path. Got it. (laughs) As a GA, because everyone, everyone as a GA strength coach there pretty much does a KRS master's, a mm-hmm. kinesiology, right? Yep. My thinking was, okay, I know all of these professors because I did the bachelor's uh-huh. there. Yeah. Maybe it was, it was cocky or something, but I was like, I'm pretty sure I know what they're going to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, was, I was like, how can I expand my career or how can I learn more about just the world in general? So I was, I was more curious than anything. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go and try and see if I can get an MBA. <laughs> Got so, it. So I did, I did an MBA while I was strength and conditioning coach, which is, I don't recommend to anyone. <laughs> because isn't, so isn't the Scheidler MBA program evening? Classes? It is. Yeah. So it, it kind of worked out good. So in, in theory, that made sense because I can work in the daytime, school at, in the evening. Got but it. I forgot all the extra work that goes goes on for, for one, be strength and conditioning coach, two, get an MBA <laughs> and all Got the work it. that's extra. So I, I don't even know if I was was working cognitively at a good level because I was yeah. just like constantly stressed. About the, Got it. The, my oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, well... I think your MBA is a very versatile degree and, you know, it will help you in more ways than none. And I can kind of relate to this, not that I went through an MBA program, but I am a Shiler College of Business graduate for my undergrad. And people are like, how did you end up here? But they have a good program. You know, I don't know what the MBA program was like when you were there, but I think even that aspect, again, you're going so far out of your comfort zone, right? That's not strength and conditioning related, no, but no. you probably learn a lot of skills that you even can apply today with how you're trying to observe, how you're trying to communicate to these athletes, you know, all of these other things, or even put yourself out there professionally, right? So I yeah. think even though it was really hard, again, I commend you for it. And I think you, you wouldn't have gone another way you know um now that's all said and done because it is providing some value to your career so yes. after that so that was two years right that you were at uh that was two years yeah two years yeah. okay so you finished all of that talk a little bit about some of the big things you learned as a graduate assistant the best thing i would, I would say about for one as a coach mm-hmm. being a ga at uh you get to be the strength coach like that you get to be completely in charge of your teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy gives you that, that control over it, which is great because that's not the case everywhere mm-hmm. um, at other schools sometimes, but usually you're like shadow or you'll be kind of like the second in command to mm-hmm. you know, whatever teams you're assigned, yep. but you, you get fully immersed in it. So mm-hmm. if you, at the time I had women's swimming and women's tennis and women's golf uh, track and cross country. Uh-huh. So, you fully get the experience of what the actual job is going to be like when you become full-time, if you become Mm full-time, you know? So that, that was one of the best things was that, yes, it's very difficult. It's very stressful. You're not prepared for it. Even if you think you are, Mm -hmm. especially having multiple teams, um, you can never 
cover all your bases, even mm-hmm. if you want to. Um, but it teaches you the management part. It teaches you to, to be efficient with your time um, and rely on other people as well. Like you, you have a staff around you that can help you and teach you, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing for, for me as a coach and as a GA. And also just you get to kind of experience what the kids are experiencing as well, right? You, mm-hmm. You're going to school too. Mm-hmm. So you understand like why sometimes people come into the weight room or sometimes people come into conditioning and they don't look like themselves and they're stressed. And like, mm-hmm. you can think about like, okay, I want to grill this person because their energy sucks. Yeah. But <laughs> if you can relate to them a little bit, you yeah. can talk to them after that, right? Like, Hey, what's going on? Yeah. Why are you acting this way? Why? <laughs> what's, yeah. what's happening with you? And then, then it builds a relationship as well. So yeah. you're like aware of what they're actually going through through and it helps your relationship with them mm-hmm. so it's double yeah no i think that's true because as tommy mentioned too right and you know we all know uh we don't have the luxury of having as many strength and conditioning coaches on staff right so then yeah. the gas play a very big role they have a lot of responsibility and i think that helps you guys more than you realize in the moment right because you're juggling all of these things school but also managing these teams like a full-time staff member and you know, it's kind of your learning experience too, to go through all of that by yourself, right? Of course there's support, yeah. but then you get a lot of leeway for what you can and, you know, what you're overseeing, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's a great, great experience for a lot of GAs, right? If they're part of a, not, I want to say not a big time program, but you're still part of a division one program. I think that's a huge asset for you. I do want to get into, so you know, there's so many things we could talk about and I don't want to keep you too long in your busy schedule, but I, got time. I do. It's the weekend. We'll it's the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to get into, okay. So after that, you know, you obviously learned a lot from the UH experience. Where were you at kind of at that point career wise? And how did you, you kind of told me a little bit before, but for the listeners out there, how did you get this opportunity? And was this something that you always wanted to pursue? being in a big time school, learning from, you know, legends in the profession. What were you thinking at that point when you were concluding your master's program? Yeah. A, a lot of people talk to me about how, how nice it must be here because they see the, the on field, I guess the product and, mm-hmm. and they see the, the fanciness that, that we have here. We have the facilities and we have the cool gear and stuff like that. For me, it was the, the person that I was trying to work on there, mm-hmm. who was my current boss now, um, Coach Brad. And he was influential on me because as a young strength coach, I saw kind of a stereotype of the same kind of coach, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of intense, loud, big, strong person, which is what usually the strength and condition coach personifies. That, that's what we, Mm-hmm. kind of that's the image that we kind of try to fill right uh-huh. but knowing me i am not that i'm not big i'm not <laughs> particularly strong um and i saw a video of coach rad talking about the importance of of movement and how that is the factor in your your performance mm-hmm. that if you're efficient in your movement if you're you're fast and powerful like that is usually the, the game breakers, not necessarily your, your weight room records. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of remembered him for that because I thought that, that makes complete sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we can teach the kids to be more aware of their body and be efficient movers, 
that's that's probably where the performance is going to come from. Uh-huh. So it was it was the person that I wanted to work on there. That's that's where I saw Oregon as, as as a future. Obviously, like everyone wants to kind of work here. Not everyone, but so many people think like that would be a great place to work. Mm-hmm. But me getting this job was was a culmination of I had actually applied to work here like five or six times. Got it. Um, as a GA, as an intern. And obviously I didn't get those opportunities, but the most recent one, I, I was finalist for a GA spot and uh, interviewed with the staff here and they were super professional. But after they told me I didn't get, get the position here, I made sure that I called Coach Radcliffe on, on the phone. And I just said, hey, thank you. I really, it was, it was genuine. I really was, was thankful to just talk to him because it was like, mm-hmm. you see him, you know, you read his books and then you, see the videos and all that stuff you see him present. And it's like, it's cool to like, to meet kind of legends in the sport, you know, or, or in, in the field. And so I just called him and said, Hey, thank you. I, I really, really had a good time talking to you. Um, hopefully I get to talk to you again. And, and I think that that connection paid off in, in the future when I applied for a full-time job, he, he told me, you know, I, I remembered you, I, you were high on my list before. We just had someone that was just a little better than you, a little more experienced than you. But that pay, I think that paid off just keeping a connection, not, not burning a bridge. And, and, and eventually I got this opportunity. And it was at the end of my GA, um, my GA term. I graduated and I didn't have a job. It's flimsy for a lot of, a lot of us strength coaches. It's like the job pool is small compared to the amount of people that want to do this. And mm-hmm. so a lot of us don't get that opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was that one connection that, that I made with, with him that got me the opportunity or got me the chance to come here. So that's, that's, that was huge for me. Got it. So even before your master's program at UH, you were applying to Oregon as either a GA or an intern. And then that mm-hmm. continued throughout the program too, just keeping in touch or did you ever meet him in person prior to that? No, no. Nope. Got it. But just talking to him, making that connection. And we were talking about it before we started recording. Like I have his book too. <laughs> I was looking through and I was yeah. like, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people have his book, right? Yeah. Um, he is one of the legends in the field. He's kind of like a pioneer to, you know, how he looks at things. Also, I just only recently realized this, but Jim Radcliffe, his master's in is in biomechanics. So, you know, as most people know, that's the field that I'm studying to biomechanics. And I think maybe that gives him that perspective of how crucial like movement efficiency is and all of this versus just, you know, how much weight are you moving? What's your power output? Like, you know, it's more the strategy of how are you actually accomplishing this? So yeah, there's a lot of things and it's always good. Like how you talked about, I have this same philosophy. It's always good to talk to them and, you know, just hear the experiences that they've experienced because we can learn tons from that. Right. And I think even for us, like as we progress through our career, sharing the experiences that we've been through, right. The next generation is going to be able to build off of that even further. Right. And that's what we want. We want the whole profession to move forward as a whole, right. It's not so like just looking out for yourself, right. You want to contribute to the profession and make sure that, you know, all of these experiences are helping the next generation of practitioners, strength coaches, and all of that. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you, so thinking how you've kind of progressed through your career, all of the things that you've learned, right? Now, since you got to Oregon, did you start at Oregon in 2019, 2018? Yeah, 2018. 
2018. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. <laughs> so now, you know, I think this is good because, as you know, I want you to chime in a little bit on like resources and things like that, but also how a lot of the things that you do impart on the athletes, it doesn't need to be when you have like unlimited resources. You know what I mean? We're, we're talking about, because UH, we are a division one program, but we are on the lower tier of funding, of resources, mm-hmm. of, you know, just staff resources, equipment, facilities, and all of that. But you still can do a great job for the student athletes, right? And then when you go into one of the par five schools, Oregon is even more so on on the top tier or top end of the Pac-12, I would say, or I would guess. But talk about, the differences in resources, but also talk about how what you kind of do for the student athletes is pretty much the same regardless of where you go, right? All those intangible things, how you coach them and relate to them and connect connect with them, right? Can you give a little insight on about that? Yeah, there's a lot of tears to that that question. First of all, like the the resources and the facilities and the funding and things like that is vital for a program to be successful i'm not going to shy away from that it, mm-hmm. it is it's an advantage it's a recruiting mm-hmm. tool it is everything that you, you think it is yeah um it's also not the answer to things mm-hmm. so what i tell people all the time not recruits sp- specifically but other other kids that i come in contact with especially from hawaii mm-hmm. um you don't try to go to a school just because of, of the things that they have you gotta think about other things because if you come to somewhere, to somewhere like, or like Oregon, the really cool factor runs out quickly. Like after you get that first bag of really cool gear, you get those that cool shoes and all that stuff that you get after you walk through the buildings and, and just think that you're like in a palace, the reality sets in quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get along with your coach, if you don't like the environment, you don't like the weather and things like that, mm-hmm. it, it, it gets real really quickly. So that's, it's an advantage. It's, it's, it's necessary, mm-hmm. but it's also not the answer for that. So when you're trying to decide where to, where to go, and sometimes you don't have a choice, honestly, when you, know, you get recruited, but don't try to pursue things just because of, of what they have. Mm-hmm. Think about what, what, you, what you can bring to it and what it can do for you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's the first thing. I, I don't think, I think we think about mid-majors as like this, like tear down from, college athletics and really it's not much different to be honest Mm -hmm. um i saw some we get high level athletes and you know we 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 rate them in stars and all that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. the skill level and the the talent level strength level is not much different at at the mid-majors it's Mm -hmm. just that we might have more of them here you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so that's it's a, it's a big reason why we can get upset by all kinds of teams, mm. you know, and that's something that we have to like kind of instill in, in these, these kids here because we have everything right. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get kind of comfortable. It's easy mm-hmm. to, to like, yeah. we're Oregon, we're supposed to win. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you, you actually can get beat mm-hmm. and it happens. And, and sometimes it's, it's good that we get beat by, by the smaller schools because it's, it's a reminder like, Hey, we're still playing this sport. We're still playing football. We're still playing lacrosse or whatever. It's, you, you need to prepare like, like you had nothing before. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so at the same time, it's an advantage. 
And it's also a disadvantage because mm. you see this happen from kids that have had a lot in their lives. Like they don't have that, that toughness. They don't have the resilience. Mm. And sometimes it's like, hey, maybe we need to have less resources because we need to have <laughs> that, that edge as, as well, right? Uh-huh. So the preparation doesn't change. It's just, it's, just, uh, it's just that sometimes you walk in and you're like, hmm, this is really nice, you know, but uh-huh. it's, it's, it's the same job. I like how you said the preparation doesn't change because there's no shortcuts. There's no other things that's going to get you there faster. I mean, yes, resources does help having all of these kind of things. But like you said, there's always a pro and con to every situation, right? And I think the schools that don't have as much, right? Maybe they get after it more. Maybe they have more of a chip on their shoulder or whatever it is. You know, it could be Mm -hmm. that mental edge or perspective that helps to push them a little further right make them a little bit more driven and hungry but yeah who's to say there's always things that i think that's what makes a good coach right because like how you went back to your time at ucla like you really learned the art of coaching i always talk about that like it's literally an art form like to be good at anything in this profession you can have all the knowledge in the world but if you can't actually execute that or apply it or get the athlete to relate, it's kind of useless, right? So I think that's the art of it. Like, I like your experiences, what you're sharing, because you're seeing all of these from all of your different experiences, even from when you were doing your 5 a.m. workouts at Farrington, right? Those kids really didn't have a nice weight room or anything, but they're showing up at 5 a.m., right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, how did that happen, right? And you're kind of collecting this information and observing and seeing, okay, what do I bring to the Oregon teams that you're coaching, right? And I think that you're just sharing that both sides to the picture, right? How can we work on some of the things that we need work on? Like, whether that's Hey, you know what? We got to share that. You got to prep. You got to work hard. You got to, you know, do everything that every other school is doing. Don't just feel like it's going to be a given every week. Right. And I think that's something that you can share because again, what you just talked about, that has nothing to do with like, okay, do your sets of five, make sure that it's clean and all of this. It's completely outside of that. It's kind of these intangible external factors that a good coach will bring to the table. To, to piggyback off of that too, to like answer the second part of that question, mm-hmm. if you think about my my journey career-wise, mm-hmm. from saying I don't want to be a counselor anymore, mm-hmm. I want to be a coach, the, <laughs> I'm still a counselor here. It's just like yeah. uh-huh. what I was trying to not do <laughs> for my career. Yes. Like, I was like, I don't want to sit down here and think and talk to you about your problems. You know, that's, that's what, that's what I, <laughs> I joke about all the time. But I do this every day. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah. like every every lift, either I, I hurt someone's feelings or I see something that you know they're not doing that's normal according to their personality. Mm-hmm. And the, like you said, what can I bring here? Like the value that I've brought here is not my strength and conditioning knowledge. It's the is the connection that that came from having the conversations after. So yeah. like when. You know, the kids come to me for I'm having problems with my coach or I'm my my family, this and that. And the fact that you can get that trust from them as a strength coach, because the cool thing about being a strength coach is that you don't really dictate their playing time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they kind of see you as like a neutral party. Yeah. Even though you're their coach and you're hard on them and you can hold them accountable and all that stuff, they kind of see you as like a trusted person naturally. Mm -hmm. So if you go that extra extra step and then really get to know them. Uh-huh. And really build the relationships where, like, 
you can actually see when they're being weird. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. yeah. And that's that's another aspect where I thought I was getting out of the counseling profession, but it was like a tool for me now. Mm-hmm. We're like, I can actually help them. We're not necessarily supposed to like help them mental health wise yeah. because we have yeah. professionals for that. Uh-huh. But just knowing how to listen to them mm-hmm. sometimes is is huge. You can you can talk them off of like going going insane for for the day. You can you can mm-hmm. process with them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another value that I, I picked up, not intentionally, but it was like, this is another tool that I have to help them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And again, it's all of these other tools that you bring to the table that, and I think for everyone, right, your journey, your experiences, it kind of shapes your skill set and how yeah. you're going to proceed and what some of your strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that's something great for, you know, anyone aspiring to do anything in the athletic space, right? That yeah. you need to have some of this understanding and relationship building, build rapport with all these athletes. And all of that is very, very crucial to being a better strength coach or coach in general. On those lines, kind of explain really briefly, just to give listeners an idea, right? During season, especially during your, when your teams that you're in charge of are in season, right? What are kind of the basic work demands and what's your schedule like? at Oregon, a big division one program, right? How does that play out as far as like how hectic it is or what commitments, responsibility you have to take care of? Yeah, I feel like my life's gotten easier as it's, as it's progressed. The kind of hectic, real struggle happened early in the career. Mm-hmm. And because I had to do that, the actual job now seems like like a piece of cake. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cliche, like when you say like you, you're passionate about your job, mm-hmm. you don't work a day in your life, but I really don't. I wake up and I, I want to come here, yeah. you know, because it's like, so my typical day is like you, I'll wake up, I'll get here, I'll have morning groups, mm-hmm. I'll have a little break in the, in the middle of the day, and then I'll have afternoon groups and evening groups. And then if I don't have that, I'm, I'm at practices, okay. and participating on the sideline and, and whatever. If you look at the whole, like how many hours I put in, it's, it's kind of a lot, mm-hmm. but it's like voluntarily a lot. Cause I could literally mm-hmm. sit here, wait for the teams to come in and they leave and I'm done. Right. That's, yeah. that's what your job um, description entails. But yeah. if you're like fully committed to it and you, you really care about their success, you can follow them to practice. Yeah. Right. And then all the side talk on the sideline is, is helpful too, because they know that you're there with them. You know yes. what I mean? Uh-huh. So my, my job is, is long hours, but it's voluntarily long hours. <laughs> you know? Yes. And yeah. that's exactly, you know, I hope a lot of people find that in their career because yeah, what you're passionate about, it doesn't seem so much like it's work or a chore or whatever it is because you're enjoying yeah. it. Of course, not yeah. everything's going to be perfect and always sunny skies but it also makes dealing with those hard times i think a lot more manageable and then you have a lot more things to look forward to in the big scheme of things so along those lines without sharing i know this could be a whole nother hour which i will keep you a whole nother hour but real briefly explain some of your i know you do everything right and you're as a strength and conditioning coach you're always looking to best prepare your athletes but let's talk a little bit about some of your approach and philosophy and your interests. Cause I know you like a lot of the speed and agility work, the movement stuff. So just 
kind of touch on that a little bit. Like what, what is your approach right now? What kinds of things do you like to look into and what, I guess, do you really focus on with a lot of the teams? Yeah, it's, it's really dependent on the, on the sport. So I have a pretty unique lineup. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, lacrosse, women's lacrosse, okay. which is the, the very, a very agility and speed dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that falls right into my wheelhouse. I have a sport called acrobats and tumbling, yep. which is like a, is a cross between gymnastics and competitive cheer. Yes. Some of the best athletes I've ever coached. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't think that just hearing the sports name, but the most aware, strong female oh, athletes yeah. I've ever been around. Then yeah. I have men's and women's golf, okay. <laughs> which involves no, no, no running or anything like that. Yes. So I really got to kind of assess the need of the sport and then assess the needs of the individual athletes in their positions mm-hmm. with their training backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my interest is always in speed and agility um, just because it's, it's fun to me. And I, I think that that's a, a quality that, mm-hmm. that dictates your success, especially on the field, on the court, things yep. like that. But I, I take a lot of pride in, in being able to assess the need address the need and then and then see them progress and then the biggest thing for me is that they they see the importance of what we're doing mm-hmm. right so if they understand why we're doing certain certain things mm-hmm. the buy-in is just, is so strong yeah. you know yeah. so that's that's kind of where my, my mind goes mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's super interesting and i mean you're definitely like you said you always wanted to be in this environment learn from coach radcliffe right and mm-hmm you're definitely immersing yourself into this and you're getting probably a lot of experience in this realm, right. Of speed and agility that is going to help you help so many athletes in the future. I do want to ask you, so, you know, and maybe coach Radcliffe might watch this one day. It would be an honor, you know, if he (laughs) talked story a little bit more and shared some of his wisdom, but what is the one big thing that you've learned from him over the past three, four years now? Oh, so much be a good teacher for one mm-hmm. so if you look at our weight room um if you just come into one of our lifts mm-hmm. it's, it's different than the environments that i've been in i've only been to uh and ucla obviously but mm-hmm. that was always a high energy um mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. it was it was we need to be loud we need to be energetic if the team doesn't have the energy we have it yeah right mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the the stereotype that's, that's what happens everywhere. And you do need that. Mm-hmm. If you look at our weight room now and the way that it operates, there's very little yelling. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's more teaching. Oh, so okay. If you watch him, like he, you, sometimes you don't even hear his voice. You hear him like give cues here and there, but he'll walk around this and that. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. This is what you need to do. And it's more like a, a direction. Like it's a direct, yeah. He's a more of a director than anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I've evolved my coaching style kind of more toward him because for one, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like it's natural. You don't have to be a certain persona. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and two, I think you communicate better when you actually are yeah. paying attention to what yeah. they're actually doing and less about what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to get like, as a strength coach, it's easy to get caught up in the emotions. Like you, Mm-hmm. It becomes like me, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. like this is the environment of we're doing all this kind of stuff. And it's like, wait, are you paying attention to what they're doing? And yeah. are, are they learning from what you, from yeah. you? So yeah. that's one thing, be a good teacher and 
I think just to care, man, just to care about mm-hmm. your athletes. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Cause they know, they know right away if you're bought in or not. And yeah. when they know that you actually care about them, they, they, they will perform for you. Not just, not just for you, but they will perform at their best when they know that this person has, has their best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great messages. And I, that's something that I really can relate to. And, you know, thanks for sharing that because I think I relate to that and do that a lot more when I work with my clients. But again, I'm not in a team setting. I'm not in this huge weight room, right? I've never been in that environment, but I like that teaching aspect because I think, and of course, focusing on the athlete. I think if you mm-hmm. do those two things, it doesn't matter well, maybe it does matter a little bit, but it doesn't matter too much if you're just teaching them in a, you know, normal, like more intimate setting, or if you're yelling in their face, right? They should understand like, you know, what I need to do and then really see that, okay, this person cares and I'm going to try to do my best or give my best to meet each other in the middle to actually help me to perform better. Right. So I, yeah. I like that. I like that setting. I like that approach to like teaching a lot and really making it about them and listening and observing and seeing everything that they're doing so that you can give better coaching cues and all of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great environment that you're in. And, you know, I, I really appreciate all of the things that you're sharing. We'll leave it on this. I know we went a little longer, but if you had any last words of wisdom, it could be to anybody too. It could be colleagues. It could be student athletes. It could be people that are aspiring to play at the next level, at the collegiate level. But if you had any words of wisdom, you shared a lot of gems already, but any last words of wisdom that you would share with anyone listening out there? Huh. That's a good question. I think uh, wherever you are in life, whoever is listening to this, if you're at a crossroads or if you are, you have that feeling that you can, you want to do something, but you don't know how to do it. Or if you don't know if you're good enough to do it, you're not going to get the approval of everyone. You're not going to get the approval sometimes of the people that are even closest to you mm-hmm. because it's your dream. It's not, it's not their dream. Mm-hmm. So if you're an athlete or if you're a professional, you're, you're an adult, they, you think you might want to do something else, you, want, you might want to pursue something else, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's possible. It's, it's definitely possible, but we stop ourselves mm-hmm. ourselves all the time. Yeah. And so I would say to just move toward it. That's, it's kind of cliche. It's kind of like how we talk about the body, that you need to keep moving in order for it to work, uh-huh. right? It's the same thing with, with life and with your ambition and your career. If you keep the movement, because early on in my career, I didn't, <laughs> it was, it was not, it was not glamorous. It was, it was very rough. And it was, it was probably the, the roughest and most curvy path to being where I am. Uh-huh. But I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew that that's where my purpose would have been the highest. So if, if you're at a crossroads of anything, you just move toward it. And that's, that's the only thing that you have control of, which is you continuing to go. Cause there's no one thing I, I, I found when I was, when I was a counselor and I don't mean to bag on anybody <laughs> in, in that profession, but I saw people that they were very unhappy mm-hmm. and ha- that had been there for 20, 30 years and were waiting for retirement and were waiting for, they would live for the weekend. So they would, they would mm-hmm. work the job and then Friday, Aloha Friday was like the best part of their life. Mm. Right. You don't want that to be your life. 
Mm-hmm. You can't just wait for re- retirement. That's not what you're supposed to be doing in your life. You're supposed to be having purpose. And if you don't, if you don't show up to work, someone's life will be affected. That's that's how you have purpose in your life. Mm-hmm. So if if you can find that, and if you know that it's there, you go toward that. Yeah, everyone listen to that, rewind that. I mean, that's excellent words of wisdom. And I think it's something that we all can relate to because at some point in our life, there was difficulty, there was crossroads, there was uncertainty, you know? And I think if you just kind of remind yourself that what you want to do, if you put in the right steps, work hard, you know, keep moving, like you said, I think that will help. And it's interesting because all of the things we talked about, right? And I I truly believe this, I'm sure a lot of athletes can attest to this, is that all the things we do in the athletic world, that's like a little like microcosm of life, right? Because even like things that you said, like being prepared. So when the opportunity presents itself, right, that's related to this. And we preach that to our athletes all the time, right? That's why we do off-season conditioning. That's why we do all of these things to prepare you. So when the opportunity presents itself, you're ready, right? So I think if you just listen to, and it doesn't have to be on this podcast, right? But listen to the perspective that a lot of coaches and athletes give. If you just start to apply that to other areas of your life, whether that's school, whether that's your career, whatever it is, I think you have the formula to work towards a goal and reach success, right? It's just oftentimes we tend to only apply these strategies or these types of action steps in certain areas of our life, but you can really apply it to other areas of your life too. And the big, the bottom line is that, you know, you want to be happy, of course, but perform and do the things that you love doing, right? But overall, any last words? I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know we could go on and on, but any last words that you have? No, I just want to say this from me to you, mm-hmm. what you're doing, for one, it's pretty impressive that you're able to do your, is it a PhD? Yes. Let's do the PhD, you're training people, you're doing a podcast. I'm just impressed with the fact that you're able to manage that and put that all, <laughs> all together. And you do such an awesome job. So I just want to commend you for that before we leave. Like That's what you're doing for people that you might not hear, but it, it's, it's so valuable to people, not just in Hawaii, but just in general, just the amount of knowledge that you're putting out there is very valuable. So thank you for doing what you do. No, I mean, thanks for all the kind words. And it it means a lot too. you know, it's just there to try to help and reach people. And a lot of times, I don't know if I'm managing it super well, but you know, I'm doing my best and you know, it it's good if it even reaches a couple people and they realize that, oh, this will help me along my path. Right. And along those lines, you're doing a lot of great things. I like all of your content and we're kind of in the same boat, trying to grow our social media, grow our YouTube. Yeah. So what is your uh, social media handles, your YouTube channel. I'll put all of this in the show notes too, but how can they find you? Yeah. Uh, most of my content goes off Instagram. Okay. So that's just my first name, Dyson Tarai. Um, YouTube is lacking a little bit, so I, I will get back on that. <laughs> yes. But I do, I do have a YouTube channel as well. Um, but those two platforms are the easiest way to find my content. Got it. I will put all of that in the show notes, but yeah, we'll definitely catch up soon. Catch up when you come back home, you know, hopefully you have some time to get away a little bit and come back home, but thank you for sharing all of the perspective, the knowledge, keep doing all of the great things you're doing up there and at university of Oregon and yeah, just keep sharing the knowledge. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. 